If you would please take your Bibles and turn with me to 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 3. As we continue our series, we believe our study through our church's statement of faith, we have come to the last point of that statement of faith just before our church covenant. We have come to the doctrine of the second coming. In our statement of faith, we declare that we believe in the personal return of the Lord Jesus Christ and that it will be in two phases. One, he will return in the clouds for the rapture of the church before the tribulation period. And two, he will return visibly to the earth at the conclusion of the tribulation period to set up his kingdom. We declare that we believe that Jesus Christ is coming back. I've asked you to turn to 2 Peter chapter 3, and I'd like for you to look with me at verse 4. It's declared that in the last days, scoffers walking after their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. And then Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, goes on to recount for us things of which they are willingly ignorant. But do you see the question of the scoffers? Where is the promise of his coming. I hope this morning that if a scoffer were to ask you such a question, that two ways you'd be able to answer it. You'd be able to show them the actual promises in the scripture. Can you do that? I hope that you can. Can you show them the promise of his coming according to the scriptures? And secondly, does your life adorn this doctrine? Does the way that you live show forth that you believe that Jesus is coming again? It is very important for us not only to know this doctrine, to know this promise according to the scriptures, it is absolutely important that we believe in the second coming of Jesus Christ. And it is equally important that we live the doctrine of the second coming of Christ. In the message this morning, I'm going to spend the majority of the time dealing with the latter. We've spent a lot of time over the years here discussing prophecy and end times events, and I hope you have it settled in your mind. Today, I'd like to encourage you and challenge you why this doctrine is so important. And as we look through the scriptures that talk, particularly of the first phase of his second coming, I hope that as we do so, you will not only be reaffirmed in the truth of the doctrine, but that you will be challenged in your day-to-day -day life. For really, of all the doctrines we've looked at, this one, just like all of the others, is very pivotal, is very key to our daily lives. It really is.
again to read our statement of faith, the second coming. We believe in the personal return of the Lord Jesus Christ and that it will be in two phases. One, he will return in the clouds for the rapture of the church before the tribulation period. And two, he will return visibly to the earth at the conclusion of the tribulation period to set up his kingdom. Let us pray together. Lord Jesus, we are excited this morning to review your promise to come again. Dear Spirit of God, help us to understand, comfort us as we consider the trials we endure now, and point us to the Lord Jesus, who is our blessed hope. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending your only begotten Son to this earth out of your love for us while yet sinners, giving Jesus to die for our sins. We praise you that he rose again. Lord Jesus, we bow to you as the eternal God, as our Savior, our Redeemer. We praise you as the one seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And we pray, Lord Jesus, come quickly. May we as your people love your appearing. May we as your people understand the importance of your promise to come again in our day-to-day lives that you might glorify us as you are glorifying yourself. We see you lifted up and we are humbled to realize you do it through us. And we praise you in this day. Help us. May all glory and honor be to you. We pray in your name. Amen. Can you imagine? I've been humbled in the last few months in thinking of those who have gone ahead and thinking on the day when it says that we will be glorified. The significance of that is overwhelming to me because that word we reserve for God. We say all glory belongs to him. And that is absolutely true. We say that what is man, that thou art mindful of us. But then he says that he's going to glorify us. Oh, how much that makes me feel small. But so loved, so cherished by my God. And there's a day coming when he's going to do that. And in fact, when he talks about those who are glorified, he uses it in the past tense. I sure don't feel glorified right now, do you? But in God's eyes, it's as good as done. And what a day that will be. It is something for us to look forward to. Titus 2 and verse 13, I have there on the screen, where we as Christians are commanded to be looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Let us be looking for this blessed hope. Before we dive into living this doctrine, there are a few things I would like to review and explain with you. In relation here to our statement of faith, we declare it to be in two phases. Christ's 
second coming in two phases. We believe that he will return in the clouds is the first phase. And the second phase at the beginning of the before the tribulation. And at the end of the tribulation, we believe that he will return to the earth. Together, these are what we call the second coming. To put it on a chart for you to see, you've seen this chart before, but to review, the second coming begins with, you might say, the first coming. This graphic here uses the cross, and I borrowed this from a chart we have in our library, but really, I don't know that it's fair to use just the cross. It's really the manger, the cross, and most importantly, the empty tomb. The first coming was Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, the one promised to come and be the Redeemer. He came just as he was promised to come. He fulfilled hundreds of prophecies when he came and when he lived. That's his first coming. After he rose from the dead, he ascended up to heaven and a few days later, began the church age on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came and indwells believers in this time we refer to as the church age. And we are looking, as we saw in Titus, for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. We're looking for him to come back. It may be today any day. There are no events pending waiting for his return. We look for his return in the clouds at any moment and any day. This is what we, he comes in the clouds and we are caught up together to be with him. This is where you hear the, the word, it's a Latin word, rapture. And the Latin word rapture means caught up. And it's referring to the promise, it's a quote actually, from 1 Thessalonians 4, which we will look at here in a moment, where it says that the dead in Christ shall rise first, then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds. So the first phase of the second coming is Jesus Christ personally, not some imaginary thing. He, as the living God-man, risen, glorified, the person of Jesus Christ, will come in the clouds and catch up those who are alive and remain. And before that, the dead in Christ will rise, meeting him in the air. And it tells us, so shall we ever be with the Lord. When this rapture happens, we'll begin the tribulation. It is a seven-year period that the world has never seen before of trial and tribulation. At the end of those seven years will be the revelation. When Jesus Christ, with us his saints, will descend from heaven, not just to the clouds, but all the way to the earth. And at that time, Jesus Christ will set up his kingdom, which we refer to as the millennium because it's said to be a thousand years. And at the end of this thousand years, Jesus Christ will deliver up this kingdom to his Father. It will begin the eternal state, the period of eternity future, where there will be a new heaven and a new earth. There will be no more curse, and there will be no more death. And those who are resurrected unto life will live forever and ever and ever in the presence of God. The joy of heaven and the new heavens and the new earth but those who are not believers and who are not written in the book of life 
will be resurrected to condemnation, an eternal judgment in the lake of fire. And so here you see an overview of events past, present, and future. We believe in the personal return of the Lord Jesus Christ and that it will be in two phases. The first here, that he will return in the clouds for the rapture of the church before the tribulation period. And we believe he will return then visibly seven years later to the earth at the conclusion of the tribulation period to set up his kingdom. Now, with this, there's some interesting things relating to that word tribulation. I'd like to explain it real briefly, just again, in review. When we hear of tribulation, many times people struggle with some of the prophecies regarding Christ's second coming because there's, they, there's certain parts where there seems to be some contradiction. It seems to be that there is signs and things that have to happen before he can come again. And that's true for the revelation when he comes to the earth. But then there are other scriptures that speak of it as it just will happen. It's imminent at any moment. Even Paul spoke of it in that regard. And what is the, what is the resolution to this tension is to recognize that it's the, the coming in the clouds and the rapture with the tribulation and then the revelation where he, with the saints, comes to the earth to set up his kingdom. And many struggle with this partly due to the use of the word tribulation. So I'd like to point out three different aspects of the word tribulation. Notice the first one I put on the screen with a little T, tribulation. Jesus said that in the world you will have tribulation. There has been tribulation throughout all the ages since Adam fell into sin. There has been tribulation. There has been trouble, trials, persecutions. In fact, in all Christian age, yea, and all that will live godly shall suffer persecution. We have a hard time understanding this in our freedom as Americans in this land, but there are people around the world who are suffering unthinkable tribulation. That is not the same, though, as what I put here on the screen as the tribulation. Notice capital T, capital T, the tribulation. This is referring to a specific period of time in the Bible that has many different names, but it's a seven-year period known as Jacob's Trouble. It's also referred to as Daniel's 70th week. And other titles are given to this seven-year period that we're referring to as the tribulation. And then you will hear different people and read of another phrase that is the great tribulation. Now, to be clear, some people use this to refer to the whole seven-year period, to try to make it a distinction between regular tribulation, if you can say there's such a thing as regular tribulation. And yet, others use it more specifically to refer to the last three and a half years of the tribulation. So the great tribulation is a technical term used by many to refer to the last three and a half years of the tribulation, a time when God pours out his wrath upon the earth. And so as we look here at the second coming, and we see the two phases, and we see the tribulation between, we are looking for the blessed hope of the catching up 
the rapture, the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ in the clouds. Here we use the Latin word rapture, the catching up, or we could look at it as the blessed hope. Titus refers to it as the blessed hope. In our doctrinal statement, we have listed Revelation 3.10, where it speaks of Jesus is speaking, I will also keep them from the hour of temptation which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. This is that period of the tribulation. And the catching up takes place prior to that. This is the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So these are things that will happen in the future. These are things that will happen in the future. What difference does it make today? What difference does it make today? I had you turn there to 1 Peter chapter 3 because there are already and have been even from the early church period scoffers for all this period is the last days. Scoffers who have come up scoffing, mockingly asking, where is the promise of his coming? And we read that and we say, well, shame on them. Why would they scoff? That's a terrible thing. But I ask you a question. Do our lives reflect that we believe that Jesus is coming again? Maybe today? We may not scoff it. We might confess our statement of faith is we believe he's coming again. But I ask you, do our day-to-day lives reflect what we believe? I'd like for us especially to look at passages dealing with the catching up, the rapture, the blessed hope. And I'd like for us to look at the context of those passages. Some of these are going to be very familiar to you. And yet some of them, do we know the context? I hope you do, but let's today together look at the context of some of these truths. Let's take our Bibles and let's turn to one of the most famous, the one listed in our statement of faith, and that is in 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. If you participate in the Bible memory in family Bible time or each Sunday morning, we have learned some of these verses in 1 Thessalonians 4. What does it change in our day-to-day lives? If we look here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 16, we see this declaration. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel. And with a trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up, raptured together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. These are your memory verses. You have memorized these. These are what we declare as what we believe. I'm thankful our statement of faith lists more than verses 16 to 17. Because if we look at the verses around 16 and 17, it shows us why this doctrine is so important today. Let's finish reading 
the last verse of this chapter. Wherefore? Well, good question to ask. What's the wherefore therefore? Well, it's there because what we've just read should make a difference in our lives. The second coming of Jesus Christ, and particularly the catching up of his people, should be a comfort to us. That's the first lesson. That's the first life lesson we live by living the doctrine of the second coming. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. What words? Let's go back and read all of it in context. Back to verse 13. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren. He's writing to brothers and sisters in Christ, saved people. He says, I don't want you to be ignorant concerning them which are asleep, those who are dead in Christ, those Christians who have died, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. He doesn't say don't sorrow. He says sorrow not as those that have no hope. He says when you sorrow, sorrow with hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, do you believe that? If you do, you have believed the gospel. You are a Christian. Even so, them also which sleep are dead in Jesus. Will God bring with him? For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. Here the idea of prevent means that you get there before them so you can stop them. It's getting there before. We'll not get there before. They will rise first. Those who have dead, at the coming of the Lord, they'll rise first. And then we who are alive and remain unto his coming will be caught up. For that's what it says. I'm getting ahead of myself, aren't I? This is, by the way, by the word of the Lord. This is important. Where is the promise of his coming? The scoffer asks. Paul here is not declaring this upon his own opinion. Even being inspired of the Holy Spirit, he is saying that we have this by the word of the Lord. That we which are alive and remain into the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ, those who are asleep in Christ, shall rise first. And then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. The promise of his coming should make a difference in my life today when I sorrow. That I sorrow is not those who have no hope, but that when I sorrow in the passing of a loved one who is sleeping in Jesus, that I have hope and that I have comfort, knowing that Jesus is coming again and Jesus will raise that one, and if I am alive and remain till that day, I will then be caught up, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. What a glorious truth this is. But let's look here a little closer, he says here. I tell you this according to the word of the Lord. Where did Jesus talk of his coming again? 
Take your Bibles and turn with me to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. This is the night before Jesus is crucified. It is the night he is betrayed. He is with his disciples. He knows that within 24 hours, they will be separated. He will be dead in a cold, dark tomb. They will be afraid for their lives. They will be in hiding. They will forget all the things he said. And in spite of knowing that they're going to forget it, he carries on the theme of comfort. So how, what difference does it make today? We saw in 1 Thessalonians that it is comfort. There's more in 1 Thessalonians we don't have time to go into today, but that's, that's the base, right, immediate context, comfort. It continues here in John. Jesus, knowing that he's not going to be physically present with his disciples, and by extension us, his body, his church, he makes this declaration. John 14, 1. Let not your heart be troubled. I'm convicted. Because my heart gets troubled all the time. But Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. He said it so kindly, we sometimes miss it's a command. He said it so so graciously, such way of comfort that we forget it's imperative. We don't ever read this. Let not your heart be troubled. That would trouble my heart. He says, oh, so kindly. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God? Believe also in me. He says, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. You know, that's where Jesus is right now. He has gone to prepare a place for us. And he says in verse 3, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am there, you may be also. Do you see why Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, over there in 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17, well, actually it was 13, says that I declare to you the word of the Lord? Here it is. Paul's saying the same thing Jesus said. Oh, the comfort that this can give us in a time of sorrow not just in the time of death and sorrow, but no matter what troubles our hearts. Every time that your heart is troubled, remember the very first point Jesus made anticipating our hearts being troubled is know that I've gone to prepare a place for you and I'm coming again to receive you unto myself. And so the second coming when we live it will bring peace in our hearts. The remainder of this upper room discourse in John chapter 14, 15, 16, and 17, he speaks of the Holy Spirit coming, who again is the seal of this promise, looking to the resurrection day. Oh, the glory of his second coming. So believe it. Live it and be comforted. And when you are troubled, 
and your heart is troubled, let it not be troubled. Because we have a promise that Jesus said, I'm coming again to receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. A short time later, if you take your Bibles and turn over to Acts chapter 1, the disciples seemed to have forgotten some of this, and they were very eager for the kingdom. Oh, we want the kingdom, we want the kingdom. And they asked some questions about it. And uh, we don't have time for it all to go through it other than to, to read it here. It tells us that they had, in Acts chapter 1, verse 4, being assembled together with them, commanded them, Jesus commanded them, that they should not depart from Jerusalem. But wait, for the promise of the Father, saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. In fact, it was ten days later on the day of Pentecost, and here is the promise. And when they therefore were gathered together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And when he had spoken these things, while they beheld, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. They beheld him caught up, raptured up. And then the clouds received him out of their sight. And they're all standing there looking, looking. Verse 10, and while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel, which also said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. He's going to come back in the clouds. Now, what difference does this make in our lives? Well, did you see the last words of Jesus? How should the coming again of Jesus change our lives today? Well, we have the Holy Spirit of God, and we have received the power of the Holy Ghost for a purpose, and that is to be witnesses. The coming of Jesus Christ again should remind us that the very last words he gave to us before ascending into heaven were that we be witnesses of his unto the uttermost parts of the world. And so we find that the second coming of Christ is a comfort to believers in the death of loved ones. We find that the second coming of Jesus Christ is one of the promises that our hearts be not troubled. And we find that the second coming of Christ reminds us of the last command of Jesus to be witnesses of him to the uttermost part of the world. But sometimes we get tired. Turn with me over to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 
Let me tell you about the Apostle Paul. God saved him wonderfully. Gloriously saved Saul, who then became Paul. He became an apostle of Jesus Christ, an ambassador. And you know what? He was always talking about Jesus coming again. I had somebody one time tell me that my beliefs regarding the second coming of Jesus Christ, oh, they're all modern, you know, and they named a few famous dispensational authors. And it's funny because a few of those dispensational authors I had never even read. Until recently, I inherited some books. I'd never even seen any of their books. And I says to him, no, my, my convictions regarding the second coming of Christ don't come from, and I named the guys he named. I said, it comes from Jesus and Peter and Paul and John. Peter talked all the time about the second coming of Jesus Christ. All the time. Paul did. Paul spoke of it here in the very last letter he ever wrote. Second Timothy's the last letter he ever wrote. And he's tired. And he's been tempted to give up. He's been forsaken by dear friends. He's in prison. He admonishes the young man, not quite so young as he was at this time, Timothy. In verse 5, watch thou in all things. Endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. For I now am ready to be offered, and the time of my departing is at hand. Paul knew that he was close to his end. Look what he says in verse 7. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. Jesus Christ has promised to come back in the clouds and catch us up. That is his appearing in the clouds. Do we love it? Do we love it? I'm not really saying we love the catching up. Do we love the one to whom we are being caught up? If we love the one to whom we're caught up, we are going to love his appearing. We're going to look forward to it. And you know what else it's going to do for us? Look what he says here. I have kept the faith. I submit to you that one way that we live the doctrine of the second coming of Jesus Christ is that as we keep it always before us and as we love it, we will keep the faith. We will keep on day by day trusting in the ever faithful God who will never leave us nor forsake us and the ever faithful one who has promised to come again for us. So the second coming, we can live today by being comforted in the sorrow we have in the death of a believer our hearts need not be troubled as we remember the promise that Jesus will come again and receive us to himself. And also, it should motivate us to continue in the gospel, 
so that no matter what afflictions or troubles or trials, the, you see he speaks of enduring afflictions, he writes to Timothy, we will keep the faith. We will keep the faith. But here, do we love his appearing? There's a crown promised, a crown, a reward promised to those who love his appearing. And Paul is looking forward to receiving that crown. And he says, so all those also will receive that crown who love the appearing of Jesus Christ. So let us keep the faith. Turn with me just a few pages over. My Bible is just one to Titus chapter 2. The verse that we had up on the screen at the beginning. Titus chapter 2 verse 13 is the famous verse. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Here we need to be looking for his appearing. Paul spoke of it in 2 Timothy of loving his appearing. Here we're looking for it with eager anticipation, looking for that blessed hope. What difference should this make in our lives? Again, let us look at the context. Let us look at the context. There's a lot we have to skip. And in fact, I'm going to jump right into the middle of a verse, which you know me. I have a hard time doing that in the middle of a book, let alone the middle of a phrase. That they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things, is verse 10, middle of verse 10. This is after addressing the bishops and the older and the younger and even dealing with um, some people who are unruly and vain talkers. We as believers need to be living our lives in such a way that we adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. You know that. This is one of the biggest incredible truths of doctrine. Doctrine is teaching. It is the truths of God's word of who he is and his view of life and way that we live, we decorate it. Our lives adorn and decorate the doctrine of God our Savior. And we're to do this in all things. It continues. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. This is a reference to the first appearing of Christ, the coming of Christ. He was grace incarnate, the word incarnate. He was life. He became one of us. The grace of God is available to all men. It brings salvation. It brings salvation, but it doesn't just save us. It teaches us the grace of God. Verse 12, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. When I was a boy, I learned verse 12. And then in my Bible reading as a teenager, I realized verse 13. And I says, oh no, you can't memorize verse 12 and leave out verse 13. Why? Because verse 12 gives us a very important truth, 11 and 12, of the grace of God that saves us, of the grace of God that teaches us like a parent teaches a child, disciplining us to live lives that are godly, lives that are righteous before God. And it's in this present world. But guess what? Sometimes as we're doing this, we start looking at all of our failures and failing the grace of God. And that can get really heavy and discouraging. 
I submit to you that the real focus here is that we lift our eyes away from this present world. We remember the grace. We live in the grace. We let the grace teach us, discipline us as we keep our eyes. Jesus, you're coming again. Jesus, you're coming again. Looking for that blessed hope. That blessed hope which is the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And when we're looking for his coming again, we remember the first time he came. Look again at verse 14. This one who's coming again is the one who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. So as we are looking for his blessed return, we remember that he is the one who gave himself for us so that he could redeem us, so that he could purify us, so that we could be a people on fire, zealous of good works. The second coming of Jesus Christ should inspire us to continue in the grace of God, to be taught the grace of God, to live soberly, righteously and godly in this present world. His coming again is the motivation for us to be on fire with good works. And so if you think here with me, the coming of Jesus Christ comforts us in the death of a loved one. And in whatever troubles and trials we find ourselves in, when our heart is troubled, it need not be troubled because we remember that Jesus has promised, I'm coming again to receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you'll be with me always. The second coming of Jesus Christ should motivate us to be faithful witnesses in proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ to the uttermost part of the earth. The second coming of Jesus Christ should motivate and inspire us to keep the faith, regardless of what afflictions or attacks may come. And the coming of Jesus Christ should cause us to adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. It should motivate us to live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. It should motivate us to be zealous of good works. And so as we close, I bring you again back to 2 Peter. There are scoffers saying, where is the promise of his coming? That's his heresy. For we have clearly seen the promise of his coming. Believe it. But are we scoffers in how we live it? Let us not just believe Jesus is coming again. Let us live it. Let us live it in these ways that we have seen in these truths and in these scriptures. Let us live in comfort. Let us live with hearts that are not troubled. Let us live as faithful witnesses of the gospel. Let us live keeping the faith. Let us live adorning the doctrine of God, let us live zealous of good works. As we close, turn with me to 1 John chapter 2. First John chapter 2, 
Look with me at verses 28 and following. And now, little children, this isn't talking about little children as an age. This is talking about all of us, no matter what age we are, having the faith of a child. And now, little children, abide in him, Jesus, that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. If ye know that he is righteous, ye know that every one that doeth righteousness is born of God. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. The doctrine of Jesus Christ is a hope that we have, and it should change our lives every day. Little children, abide in him. As you abide in him, his righteousness will flow through you. His love will flow through you. He will convict us of sin. If we turn the page back, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know, we are looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior. But back in John chapter 14, we can't forget knowing that he's not physically with us, he promised and guaranteed us his spirit. And every day we need to be abiding in him, walking in his spirit, being filled with the spirit of God. And when we are abiding in him and walking in him, Fruits of the Spirit will flow forth. We will be on fire with good works. We don't have to wait for Jesus to come back to be living right now in the power. We can be living in glory right now as we look to that day when he will glorify us and we will be like him for we shall see him as he is. If you're dealing with guilt this morning, confess your sins. He's faithful and just to forgive you. If you're living in sin, confess it and forsake it. Abide in Jesus and let his righteousness flow through you. Hope in him and always be looking for his coming again. Lord Jesus, Thank you for your promise. We have hope. We have a confident expectation that you will keep your promise. And as we face trials and tribulation here, may we continue to be looking to you, our blessed hope. 
may we continue to be abiding in you. And we pray that your spirit would fill us and use us and that we might glorify you as we look to that day when you will not for any merit of ours, but only for the glory of Jesus, glorify us. We look and long and love your appearing, not for the crown that we will receive. For that day, we will cast that crown at your feet in thanksgiving and gratitude. For it is all of you and through you that we live and have our being. May we live in that reality today as we look to the eternal life in your presence and glory. Lord Jesus, I pray for those here in this room who have not been born of God, those who are not a part of your body, those who have no blessed hope, those who have no guarantee of being with you, but have nothing to look forward to but the flames of the lake of fire. Holy Spirit, move in their hearts and lives that they may know that Jesus died for their sins, was buried and rose again as the only one who can forgive sins and as the only one who can give everlasting life. May each one who has not believed, who has not been saved, today believe, today be saved, today have the same blessed hope. Glorify yourself in us, we pray in your name. Amen. As Lincoln comes to lead us, let us rejoice, for we have a blessed hope.